Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Corker Entertainment Show today. I am your host, Frankie Corker, and then here we are on this lovely day, May day. Uh, it's great to see that we're actually, I mean, I'm still wearing a long sleeve t-shirt, uh, so it's not exactly uh, t-shirt weather yet. It's weird. One second, it's t-shirt weather here, and the next second, it's uh, it's it's long sleeve shirt again. Like, it's <clears throat> it's just so stupid, but anyway... I can't say we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into because this happens every year and I can't act surprised anymore. But anyway, so yeah, so uh, excited for today's episode. Uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, Mr. Scott Edwards from Sacramento, California. He uh, run, he has been through it all. Like there's, I have lots of guests who have been through it all. Uh, but uh, Scott uh, originally owned uh, a small construction company and uh, he owned a submarine and a beach shack. He, and he is now a producer, and he actually opened up one of the most successful comedy clubs in America called Laughs Unlimited. And over the years, he's worked with many, many well-known comedians, such as uh, the late, great Bob Saget, Dana Carvey, Jay Leno, uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, he's going to talk a lot about that today. And uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, what makes good comedy. Uh, especially in today's day and age where people can be kind of sensitive, which, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, whether or not celebrities can survive cancel culture, which is a huge thing now, especially, of course, with this whole situation with Johnny Depp. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's 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 it makes you question what's this going to look like on Amber Heard when this is all over. God, God, uh, God love her. Did I just say God love Amber Heard? I know. No, I, I take that back. I hate Amber Heard. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Enjoy the show today, guys. It's a really good one. And uh, let's just get her going. Everybody. Welcome back to the Corkin Entertainment Show. I'm your host, Frankie Corkin, and today I am very excited to be joined by uh, an entre entrepreneur, podcaster, and uh, producer uh, from uh, Sacramento, uh, California, which is none other than Mr. Scott Edwards. Scott, how are you doing today? Hey, exciting. Oh, it's so great. I finally got on the Conqueror Entertainment Show. I've been <laughs> dreaming about this. Frankie, you're like a god in podcasting to me. <laughs> oh, gee, you don't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they don't know that. <laughs> they don't know that. What they don't know won't hurt them. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so great to have you on, Scott. I mean, like, you know, obviously we're on uh, two different sides of uh, of uh, the, the uh, globe here. So we got, we got together through uh, a little thing called uh, Podmatch, which is basically almost like, um, it's funny whenever I think about it, it's like Podmatch is almost like a dating service for podcasts exactly. <laughs> in a way. It's exactly. Kind of and sadly, Frankie, you're my perfect date. Oh, there. <laughs> I got the wine right here. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I mean, like, um, 
you've 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 been all over. You've you've done lots of like um uh, you've uh, owned your own construction company. Uh, you you owned a submarine. Uh, 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 how would you say a submarine and what? Sorry, uh, a beach hack in Hawaii. I've had a, an insurance agency. I had a travel agency. But what we're going to be talking about mostly is I had a, a chain of comedy clubs for over twenty years. And during that time, I had uh, the nightclubs, I had a couple restaurants, a couple art galleries. I'm what they call a serial entrepreneur. I uh, invest in everything and always invest in myself. Well, there you go. And so what always draws you to like to each different uh, career uh, choice? I mean, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, from a construction company and then next thing you know, you're going in, into the entertainment business. Like what's always like a draw, you know, draw you to certain. Uh, that's a great question, Frankie. And somebody brought it up uh, in a recent interview is that, uh, you know, we're, we're all these different ex- experiences connected. And the, the answer is no, not at all. It was just fluke circumstances. I think my, as a serial entrepreneur, my mindset is that if I run across something that I think sounds fun and interesting, I jump in with both feet. So the, you know, small construction company, I was only 17. Uh, we painted lines in parking lots and did small construction work around Northern California. It was just me and a couple of high school buddies. Then I had a portable DJ service. We did weddings and bar mitzvahs and parties. Uh, and then I was uh, on vacation in LA uh, with my uh, then girlfriend, soon to be wife, soon to be ex-wife, and went by this uh, small comedy club called the Comedy Store. And I had such a great time. I drove back in my head. I built up the whole company in my head, got back to Sacramento, quit my job, went bankrupt and opened a comedy club. So there was no connection. It was just, wow, that sounds like fun. And I ended up doing it for 21 years. That's crazy. That's really, really good. And I mean, um, it's definitely uh, uh, from from uh, uh, where I am here in, in uh, Marymount, New Brunswick, like uh, uh, there's not really like a like a theater location located here now, because I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, lo- uh, people around here locally will know that uh, the infamous folk theater b- uh, burned down uh, uh, about two years ago now, which was like the main entertainment venue for 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 Miramichi. So nowadays, a lot of our events and stuff like that will take place in school theaters and this and that. But I mean, since you've owned comedy clubs and you've and you've done that side of it, um, what how how would you describe like the expectation versus uh reality of that situation like someone like me i could say i'd love to open up a theater and do this and that but then when you look at it from like the realistic point of view like okay it's not always uh sunshine and rainbows like how would you compare the dream to what it actually is you know well it's a uh, that's a great question frankie and and when it comes to the theater in your town if i was living in that town I would find some way to rebuild and open that theater or find some replacement for the entertainment value. Because once I pick uh, something I'm focused on and interested in, I just go for it come hell or high water, as they say. In the sense of the comedy clubs, uh, to answer your question more succinctly, it was a lot more work and probably a lot more financial risk than I thought it would be when I first started. But I was young. I was 23 years old. Um, when you're that age, you don't think you have anything to lose. Um, I'd gone bankrupt. And so I didn't have any debts. I didn't have any, you know, this was pre-marriage, pre any financial obligation. 
So I always go into things, but I'm going to put all my effort in, into this. And if it fails, it fails. I learn from the failure. But if it succeeds, imagine the fun I will have. And in the case of the comedy clubs, it was a 21-year run of just amazing uh, excitement and fun around every corner. Just to share, Frankie, my very first opening act, making $150 a week, was Gary Shandling. Oh, the, the late, great uh, Gary Shandling. Yeah, it was his first gig out of Phoenix, Arizona. We were his first road gig. Um, I was introduced to him by Bob Saget. And um, Gary came out and opened the show. The headliner was George Wallace, who's uh, kind of famous in Las Vegas. He had his own theater there for 15 years. And that's how I got started. But what I, the, the little tidbit for future entrepreneurs is that if there's something you're interested in, talk to the people already doing it. So I was interested in opening a comedy club. So I went to LA and San Francisco and I talked to other comedy club owners club managers, bookers, comics, and I gathered a bunch of information. That's when I was 23. And then in August of uh, 1980, and by the way, it was the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire United States. In August of 1980, long before you were born, I opened up uh, Laughs Unlimited, a full comedy club, and uh, the all-comedy showroom, and, and that's what started it all. Wow. And, 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 uh, uh, from, from what I hear laughs unlimited is one of the most successful comedy clubs in America. I guess it is. Eh? It's still going today. Still going. It just celebrated its uh, 40th anniversary. I don't own it anymore, but it's still operating. And when we started, we were one of the first clubs, but it, after 40 years, it's one of the oldest clubs in America. Wow. And, um, and so uh, what what have you learned a lot? I mean, like, I, I mean, like, you know, what's one lesson in particular that really stuck with you from I mean, like, you know, obviously, like I said, the whole expectation versus reality. Is there one thing that really stuck out that you're like, oh, I wish I could have done that better. I wish I could have done this better. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, Frankie, yeah, I made a crap load of uh, mistakes. I mean, everybody I mean, that's how you learn. Right. Mm. Um, you know, you try something and, and you might waste your time. You might waste your money. And it may work, it may not work. And I think what makes an entrepreneur different than the common worker is that we're willing to take that risk. It's a risk reward thing. And, um, and I've failed plenty of times. You, you mentioned that submarine. I, you know, got a, a, I was working with a company. Uh, they built a submarine. I helped them. And I go, man, that's really cool. I want one. And I, owned and, and I bought and built and owned a submarine. I had it only about a year and a half, lost my ass financially, Aww. but it was so much fun. And the submarine's still working. The uh, Wrigley gum family bought it and it runs out of uh, Catalina Island in Southern California. Oh, wow. So, I mean, like that's one, uh, a good lesson to take from it though. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, of course, uh, I mean, uh, learn from your mistakes and, uh, that's, it might, it might not be the easy or like the, the best way or, or the most ideal way to learn, but I mean, right. It's, right. It's but it's okay to fail. I no, think absolutely. a lot of people are just afraid that if they fail, that that's the end and they can't do anything. And when somebody like me fails, that just means we have to find the next thing to, uh, to throw at, uh, I was very lucky though, with the comedy clubs, um, 
early on, I got in with Dave Coulier and Bob Saget and Gary Shandling and uh, um, a lot of uh, comics that really helped guide me. Um, early on, I was uh, got a chance to meet and work with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno, Ray Romano. And these guys, I would sit and talk to them and ask them, you know, what makes a club successful? And, you know, how do I, how do I treat the comics? And they would all share their two cents worth. And I would gather that information. And I think that helped me make me a success. Wow. And, uh, and speaking of Gary Shandling, uh, in, in preparations for this interview, uh, uh, going through like your background, I have to ask, why do you have a picture of Gary Shandling in uh, women's clothing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, a great story, Frankie. I was, uh, <laughs> My club is in a tourist area of Sacramento called Old Sac. It's a bunch of buildings that were built in the 1800s. It used to be a gold rush town and wooden sidewalks, cobblestone streets. And my club about a block away and around the corner is one of those um, tourist photo shops where you can dress up in 1800s clothes. Well, Gary was waiting for a show to start went over and got dressed up in a hoop dress and, and a frilly hat and had his picture taken and he autographed it to me and gave it to me as a gift. And I just, oh man, that was so great. Now remember, he wasn't the famous Gary Shandling yet. He was very funny and he was a headliner, but he wasn't, he didn't have the Gary Shandling show. He hadn't been on TV yet, hadn't done his Tonight Show yet. So I put that up on the wall and what's really funny, Frankie, is about two weeks later, Bob Saget was working my room. Bob Saget saw this. He went over to the same photo place and he went all out. He had gloves and a, and a parasol and this big hoop dress with a bustier. <laughs> it was so funny. And he had the picture taken, autographed it to me. And I put it right up next to Gary's. And those two pictures were up in my club for over 10 years. <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, I saw that. I saw that on your profile. I was like, I, I got to ask him. Cause I'm like <laughs> Gary Shanley in, in women's clothing. I'm like, okay, that's gotta be one. I cross that off my, off my uh, yeah. bucket list right there. I was, uh, I have one other with uh, a good friend of mine, Dave Coulier. You Joey. remember him from full house. Cut it out. <laughs> right. He, um, he was in a Cheech and Chong movie and in the movie, he invited me to the set uh, of the shoot. He was in drag on this uh, in the movie, and I have a great picture of me and Dave Coulier dressed up as a woman, and I'm cupping his breast in the picture. It's hilarious. <laughs> his fake breast, of course. Fake breast. Oh yeah, as I say. Oh, that reminds me of that episode from Full House, where 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 Joey and Danny are are, are dressed up like women. They actually did an episode I of Full House like that. Yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that, Frankie. I got a chance to work with uh, uh, all these people that had TV shows like Bob Saget, Dave Coulier, and Gary Shandling, Ray Romano. I can go on and on. Uh, but I was working in the nightclub industry. So my day started at noon and I got done about four in the morning. I never saw any TV. So I never saw the TV show Full House except for excerpts here and there. It's kind of funny that the guys that I worked with that became big celebrities, I was working nights and that didn't get a chance to really watch the shows that made him famous. 
Wow. So yeah, there's like, so yeah, what'd you think of my show? Yeah, it was good. Wait, no, I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, one of the guys that um, got us started at my club. And I'll, you know what? When we get done, I'll shoot you a video of Dana Carvey. Uh, you remember him from Saturday Night Live? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Dana was uh, a regular out of San Francisco. And I'll send you a video. I have a video of him and his brother's band doing the song Chopping Broccoli, which he made famous on Saturday Night Live around 1986-85. But in, back in 1983, he was doing it live on stage with his brother's band. And I have a video of that. I'll send it to you. But uh, what I was going to share was, here's a guy that was uh, working for me year after year. And he was so funny and so talented. He does impressions and music and comedy. And um, uh, I was sitting in a hot tub with him one night after a show and he was like nervous. And I said, what's going on? And he goes, well, I'm excited and scared. And I go, what happened? And he goes, Lauren Michaels just called him and asked him to fly out to uh, try out for Saturday Night Live. And uh, I was actually with him in a jacuzzi having drinks when he uh, right after he got that call. And so he went from just being one of my comics to um, a week later being one of the stars on Saturday Night Live. So, you know, those things, you just never know when they're going to happen. Exactly. Like you'll be, you'll be working with, with, with uh, someone, uh, one, like I was actually interviewing uh, um, uh, a gentleman, uh, Paul Pedito, screenwriter. Uh, he's worked with uh, Kalista Flockhart. And, um, and uh, I, I think I even asked him, I said, uh, what was it like uh, when you, a years down the road you're like oh my god i work with han solo's wife like you know what i mean like it, it's just crazy how back then you don't even know it like like uh, you know what i mean like i could be talking to someone next thing you know they're the next indiana jones or the next spider-man or something you know what i mean you're like oh my god i had no idea like right and this was especially true back in the 80s and the 90s when comedy was just hitting that big wave if you got a chance to do the tonight show with johnny carson uh, you could be totally unknown on Tuesday, do the Tonight Show Tuesday night and be famous and have a sitcom by Thursday. I mean, it was crazy times. Uh, that's what happened with, you know, Jay Leno and Ray Romano. They were um, offered a lot of opportunities after doing the Tonight Show. It's crazy. Like, uh, you know, once you're done one franchise, everybody wants you or like you're done one TV show. Everybody wants you. And, and, and it's like, Oh my God, I got to start turning things down. You know what I mean? Like I can't keep up with it all, you know? Uh, well, that's where you have an agent to guide you, right? Exactly. You're like, I can't do this by myself. Um, so, uh, uh, going back to like some of the comedians, you know, um, one of the celebrities, uh, uh, um, one of the celebrity passings this year that really hit home for me was, uh, Bob Saget was a huge one for me because I grew up with Full House. I loved uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, is there anything that you can tell us since you've, you've actually known Bob Saget personally? Because, I mean, also um, our our pilot episode was actually filmed the week he passed. And so that was like our uh, that was our first main topic was paying tribute to Bob Saget. But since you actually you, you've actually known Bob Saget, what can you tell us about Bob and what was he like and. Well, thanks for asking. And yes, I, I, I took his death very hard. Uh, we had actually had scheduled an interview for my podcast, which we weren't able to complete. Aww. But if you go through my podcast, you'll find a, a tribute to uh, Bob. I have a lot of his material um, from back in the day, and I've been sharing it through my podcast. By the way, plug, plug, my podcast go. is Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC. 
So go to that. You can hear Bob Saget live on stage. But Bob was a great guy. In fact, uh, I'm thank you for asking, Frankie, because he was one of the guys I met early on. Uh, that very first night I went to the comedy store in Westwood, California. One of the acts was Dave Coulier, along with Sandra Bernhardt, George Wallace, and a few others. But Dave Coulier and I became good friends. In fact, he was at my uh, bachelor party uh, a few years later. Um, and Dave introduced me to Bob. And Bob was such a giving soul that he wasn't famous yet. This was before Full House and before everything else. But he was a very funny guy, very dirty on stage, but funny <laughs> dirty, right? But he was, uh, he was really, he and Dave helped guide me to open my club. In fact, in 1982, uh, Bob helped me produce my first TV commercials. And he starred in them with uh, Carrie Snow, a female comic. And he helped write and star in, in three different TV commercials for me to help promote my club in the early 80s. On one of them, he hit me with my own car. And on the other, he threw me off a roof. But So we had a lot of fun doing it. But Bob didn't charge me any money. He was just having fun and supporting me. And he was a terrific guy. Do you have time for a quick story? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so when you're in comedy, you have kind of a twisted, unique sense of humor. In other words, you know, we're out there performing jokes on stage every night, but the stuff that makes us laugh in the business is a little twisted, right? So one night it's after a show on a Thursday night and Bob Saget, Dave Coulier and I are sitting having cocktails and I see Bob and Dave just laughing and stuff. And I'm like their boss, right? They're working for me. And I go, hey, what's all the fun? I, I feel like a third wheel here. And Dave pulls up this piece of paper and Bob Saget had taken some table lint and wrapped it up inside this piece of paper and wrote a little note and said, Dave, here's some of my pubic hair just for you. <laughs> and it was that kind of crap that made them, you know, laugh and, and poke fun at each other. It was, uh, oh it was my great God. to witness, but, but, uh, uh, and I this is really Danny and Joey. We grew up watching these guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Joey, here's my pubic hair. I, I don't think you'd see that on full house. <laughs> on on like the R-rated version. It's funny when you go back and watch the bloopers, there's some bloopers from full house. There's one in particular that I laugh at so much. It's, um, it's uh, Joey and Danny. They're, they're, I can't remember what they are. They're they're playing basketball or something like that. And Dave, Dave looks over at Bob and he goes, you can really see how small your dick is in that, in that, in those shorts. <laughs> it's just like stuff like that. Like uh, you could tell how close they were and how, and, and how much he meant to them. And uh, even watching like um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's tribute to Bob, uh, he, he said he filmed it about 14 times cause he couldn't even get through it. Like it was uh, for people who knew Bob personally, it was so hard for them to, uh, to uh, say goodbye to him. Uh, what was your first reaction? How would you find out about, his passing. Yeah, I, I heard like everybody else uh, through the news, I soon got a lot of text from different comics and people in the business about it. But I was just shocked. And, um, you know, I knew Bob and he, I knew it wasn't alcohol related or drug related. And when they first found his body, they thought uh, he'd had a heart attack. And I was kind of shocked by that because he was a pretty healthy guy for considering the entertainment industry, uh, which is a different whole world. But um, 
when I later found that he slipped and fell and hit his head and it was just a tragic accident, um, it made a little more sense. I mean, it was still very sad. He mm. was, he had many more years of entertainment to share. And, uh, I was looking forward to interviewing him for my podcast, but it was so shocking. It was, it was very shocking, but, uh, uh very sad to lose him, uh, that way. Oh, absolutely. And um, like that was my first like uh, I remember um, he put a post on Instagram. It was a selfie of him on stage of what would have been his last performance. And you wouldn't have known like I think even John Stamos had even said he's like he looked too alive to pass a few few hours later. You know what I mean? Like you just wouldn't have yeah. thought it. Yeah. John and uh, Dave uh, took this really hard. The, the, they were the three comrades, the three caballeros, as they say. And uh uh, it was um, one of those things, you know, we've, we've actually lost quite a few comic entertainers in the last year or, so, or two, but most, you know, had drug issues or drinking issues or, uh, you know, cancer or something where it wasn't a surprise. Bob was healthy. He was enjoying entertaining folks. He had, he had a big schedule of shows coming up. Uh, he had every reason to live and do uh lose him to that tragic accident uh, definitely made it a sad day. Oh, 100%. And uh, two other great ones uh, that we lost uh, recently was Gilbert Gottfried, of course, and uh, Norm MacDonald we lost. It was uh, last fall. Have you worked with either of them, Norm or Gilbert? Actually, no. I, I, I know people that worked with them, and so I knew you know uh, who they were. But um, uh, Gilbert came out of New York and, and didn't work the West Coast back in those days. And uh, Norm MacDonald, I, I know less about, but we never had a chance to work together. We also lost uh, Louis Anderson uh, in the last year. And, and there's been a couple others. Betty White. Uh, Mason, uh, a good friend of mine, and you may not remember him, but he was huge on TV, had his own show for a while, but was uh, uh, really big in Las Vegas. Comic magician, Amazing Jonathan, um, was just if you would Google him, everybody, you'll see some of the funniest magic you've ever seen. And he had his own theater and own show in Vegas for uh, over a decade. And uh, we lost him uh, recently as well. I did get a chance to interview him before he passed. And that's on my podcast. But uh, uh, Google Amazing Jonathan. He is uh, one of the funniest comic magicians uh, ever. Very good. And, you know, but, you know, there's Harry Anderson was a good friend of mine, another great magician that had uh, the TV show Night Court. Um, oh, my God. Yes, that's right. I can't forget about Night Court. My God. Yeah, and a- he was also on Cheers when he was a regular at my club and, and uh, did a lot of magic for me. Um, he, he was, uh, you know, a, a good friend and a tragic loss as well. That goes back a few years. But it is sad when somebody with, that has so much talent to share with the world and you lose them. Oh, Robin ab- Williams, you know, yes, Robin worked yes. my, you know, Robin worked my st- stage twice. And when he passed, uh, the local TV station interviewed me about him. So, you know, uh, there, there's been a lot of really gifted, talented comics that the, the world uh, doesn't have. But thanks to people like you, Frankie, and me and my podcast, we can share their humor and get it out there exact and and you know that they had a huge impact on you when you don't even know them like like myself i never knew bob saga personally 
but his death really hit her because I grew up watching Full House since I was like seven. You know what I mean? And I love watching America's Funniest Home Videos. And I would often when I was a kid, I would often sneak on the computer and listen to some of the stand up acts because, you know, I, I, I would I would be very sneaky with it because, you know, as, like as Bob liked to talk, he was very uh, filthy. <laughs> well, on stage, it wasn't the, like a lot of F-bombs. He just talked about. Uh, risque subjects and that made him dirty but quick story when in uh, 2000 uh, my new year's show was Dave Coulier and Bob Saget together that was my new year's show and it was so funny because this was after Full House came out and we would have moms calling saying oh you know what's the age limit I want to bring my 10 year old in to see the show and we're like no no don't don't send them (laughs) no you gotta be 21 you know don't send them like he 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 they he really did have a unique sense of humor. And um, this will kind of bleed into our first main topic, which is uh, what makes good comedy. Um, so there, I noticed there, there, there's some people, I mean, like, you know, nowadays, of course, there's so many people nowadays, they're saying like, Oh, you know, uh, all, all stand up nowadays is, is just F bomb after F bomb. And that's supposed to be funny. And, um, but for me, like, I think it really just depends on the context of the joke. Like with, like with Bob Saget, there might be some people who say, oh, he just swore all the time and that was supposed to be funny. This time. It's like, well, no, it was I, it was his humor and his type of jokes. You know what I mean? That that. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be clear, Frankie, he didn't do, he didn't drop a lot of F-bombs. He wasn't that kind of dirty. But mm-hmm. what he did do is he had a lot of dick jokes and sex. Oh, jokes yeah. And, you know, and boob jokes, you know, and things that that. Uh, um uh, just very bold people. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't like Danny Tanner from the TV show, but it was all really funny. In fact, a lot of people don't know Bob Saget was a really good musician. And mm-hmm. in his early days, he would take a guitar on stage and sing dirty limericks. I remember the one he did. It's the uh, Backstreet Boys parody of uh, I Want It That Way called uh, Danny Tanner Was Not Gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I could you- sing it here, but I mean, oh, my God. Oh, no, no. <laughs> But, but you could see that, that um, uh, to go to your question, comedy changed. In fact, one of the reasons I sold my chain, I had three comedy clubs. One of the reasons I sold out in 2001 was I felt comedy was changing. You know, it, mm. was, it was getting a little um, raw, a little, what's the best word? Too, too simplistic. You know, in the 80s and 90s, the comics I work with, the best way to engage in the audience is to talk about stuff that everybody can relate to and then finding the funny in it. Right. Yeah. So going to the airport or being stuck in traffic or being married, the successful comics talk about and make fun of things that we can all relate to. And in 2001, I felt that comedy was shifting a little to where it was more about the comic on stage, like it was his therapy session. And all he wanted to do was talk about his own neurosis. So it was less about the audience and more about the comic. And that's not to me is funny. Now you jump forward a decade and you get into the, uh, you know, 2020s and stuff. And now it's not comedy that's changed, but it's the audience that's changed. And the audience is now, instead of, it's like, they can't take a joke. Yeah, right? it used to be you could make fun of anything. Uh, look at Don Rickles. Uh, you're a bit young, but Don Rickles 
Mr. Was... Potato Head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was the... so funny. That show that so shows your age, Frankie. Yes. I remember he, some I remember he, he was, was on, in Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story. And I do remember him on uh, a couple of uh, Comedy Central roasts. I do I do remember yeah. him on those. That that was where I first saw, like, oh, that's Mr. Potato Head. Holy God, he's dirty. Like <laughs> well, if you Google Don Rickles, his comedy was really hard hitting. He picked on Germans and blacks and Hispanics and and Italians, and he picked on everybody, but it was always meant from a fun point of view. You know, it was it was always the audience was in on the joke. In other words, the 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 he wasn't laughing at a certain person or or, or type of person. He was bringing everybody in and saying we're all the same, even though we're different. And by making fun of everybody's differences, he was bringing everybody together. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but if you put him on stage today, everybody would be personally offended, not for themselves, (laughs) but they get offended for the guy across the room. And that's just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, it is. It really it's is. Ridiculous. When you think about it, like uh, I do, I do. I will say, though, that um, I'll, I'll admit that in today's day and age, people maybe are getting a little too sensitive. Little, and a little, too a sensitive. little. Me, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm being too soft on them now. <laughs> yeah, These sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, cancel corporate entertainment show comes up yeah. and starts tre- <laughs> trending on Twitter. question which is really good frankie the that the comedy is meant to be engaging and shared experience you know anybody that hasn't been to a live comedy show really needs to go do it because there's nothing like it you can see funny movies you can see funny tv shows you can even listen to stand-up comedy on my podcast or something and it's still funny but it's different when you're in the room there's a shared energy a shared experience that only being there and knowing that that moment is just a moment in time. You know, there's a popular website called Dry Bar Comedy, where a lot of comics are sharing 20, 30 minutes of their material. And it's a great way to, to listen to stand-up comedy, but you're still losing that experience of being in the room with the comic and having that one moment. So yeah. I was telling you, I have that video of Dana Carvey singing chop and broccoli to an audience of 200 people and the video is funny it shows dana at a young age having a great time and it's fun to watch but i gotta tell you being there in the room and knowing that that moment was just going to happen once live and being a part of it and being engaged and sharing in it and your laughter and your applause is part of that moment that shared experience can never be replaced. It's it's amazing. It really is, actually. I mean, like we 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 talked about it on, on this podcast many times, where uh, like you know the question comes up a lot of the whole virtual theater side of things. Well, COVID's going on. Why can't you just do a play online? It's like, well, it's not the same. Like, there's not that energy and all that isn't quite there. You know, like like there there's something about the experience you being in the actual room and you're laughing with a hundred people. You know what I mean? When you're just laughing right at it from your right? house, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it might, it might be funny, but it's not the same. You know. 
Yeah, I had comics during COVID that were trying to do comedy, virtual comedy shows, and they did them and they got paid for them. But imagine the difficulty of doing comedy and not hearing the laughter, right? You, it gets you don't know. How do you get the timing down, right? When you can't hear, you know, you're looking at a, a checkerboard of faces and you hope they're laughing at your material, but, you know, you don't hear anything. There's that no exchange of energy. And I think that um, uh, what makes stand-up comedy unique, and I'm going to get a little, um, uh, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to get a little deep on you, Frankie. Yep, 100%. When you listen to music or when you watch TV or you watch even when you watch a play or a movie, the words have been written previously and the performance is still more exciting if it's shared live, but it doesn't change from performance to performance. Stand-up comedy is the only art form that every time you see it live, it's unique. Why? Because whatever happens, the relation with the audience, the interaction with the audience changes every time. So I saw lots of comics that were doing the same material show after the show, night after night. But every show was unique because the audience doesn't always laugh at the same time, the same way. And the comics had the freedom to go off on a tangent or to do a tagline or to try something that you may never hear in another show. So each and every stand-up comedy show is unique in that sense. And to me, that makes it very special and very precious. Yeah, that's a good point uh, that you bring up, actually. I mean, like, you know, audience laughter. You're never going to know where they're going to laugh. They might laugh at, at some point where you, you're you like, wait, that was funny. That was supposed to be funny. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that happens many times, like, during all, all the shows and, and, and the stuff like that I've done. Like, what, one of the things my director would always say is, just keep in mind, I mean, like, you know, every time we rehearse this, it's always just us. But once you go on stage you don't know where they're going to laugh. You know, we, we uh, you know, you take the time and you laugh it all off, whatever, uh, this and that. But then the audience might find, oh, hell, hey, he said that line. It, it was supposed to be serious, but hey, that was funny. And, and you kind of got to be prepared the whole time. And same with stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I have a great story to, as an analogy. Do you have time for a story? Oh, well, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. So this is a great example of how an experience can be unique. It was about 19... Uh, 84. I'm sorry I'm going back so far, but this only happened once. It was a Wednesday night. There was maybe 16 people in the audience. And in show business, the show always goes on. We did a show even if there was only 10 people. 10 was my minimum. But in this particular show, there was about 16 people. And uh, Gary Shandling was the headliner. And uh, Gary's doing his act and talking to the audience. And about halfway through his set, this guy gets up to go to the restroom. Mm -hmm. And Gary takes a pause and he goes, well, wait a minute. That's way too large of a percentage of the audience. I'm not going to. He goes, come with me. And he took the audience into the men's room, men, women, and everybody. This guy's at the urinal doing his business. Gary goes and stands right behind him. And then goes on with his comedy set like nothing's changed. And the audience is just having so much fun and cracking up. The guy's a nervous wreck, right? <laughs> and he finishes his business and goes and washes his hand. But Gary 
didn't miss a beat. He just took the audience in the bathroom and then kept doing his material. That only happened once in my 40 year history in comedy. And yet I'll never forget it. And those audience members will never forget it because that doesn't normally happen. It was a unique moment in history. Well, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's funny once you hear it, but you're like, you had to be there. You had to be there. <laughs> That's really a good, it's so important that you said that, Frankie, because a lot of stand-up comedy, you know, you had to be there. I mean, it was like uh, seeing, singing Dana Carvey do uh, Chopping Broccoli Live or, you know, Bob Saget doing his material, Ray Romano doing his material. Oh, you, you should have been there. Uh, there was a really funny more physical comic his name was peter galky and he's done a couple movies uh he produces movies now and um he had in his one of his bits was and he and he told me he only did it one week and it was at my club he was on stage and he needed a volunteer for a bit so he took a rope and threw it out the middle aisle <laughs> and pretended to repel into the audience grab some girl around the waist and tended to climb back up onto the stage and then use this girl for a, a, a joke. And it was just, <laughs> you know, he only did it for one week at my club. He never did it again. I don't know why I thought it was funny. It was hilarious. And, you know, even to that comic, it was a, it was kind of a one and done, but what a unique piece of comedy. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so great when it always helps to drag the audience into it. I mean, like, you know, kind of like Gary Shandling taking the whole audience to the restroom. You're, you're going to, uh, uh, you're going to go use the John. Okay. Come on with me. audience. <laughs> yeah. It's a shared experience. Right. And that's what I was alluding to earlier when it comes to stand-up comedy, you asked, you know, what, what's important. And I think that it's important to engage in the audience because that's what we, we, me as a producer, my job is to find talented entertainers, whether they're ventriloquists, magicians, comics, musicians, and produce a show that entertains and engages a group of strangers. And whether there's 16 people in the audience, uh, my biggest show, I did, an out, I did several concerts. My biggest was uh, 13,000 people in an open air concert. My job is to entertain each and every one of them as the oh, producer. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. And, and you want to make sure the jokes fly, everything goes right. You know what I mean? There's a lot of pressure, you know? Oh, you know, I, I, I have all this gray hair for a reason. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Just, just a warning for everyone going into the entertainment business. You will have gray hair, but. <laughs> or like a lot of my friends, no hair, no hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's our first main topic today. Be sure to, uh, uh, to uh, tell us on uh, social media, your opinion on what makes good comedy, uh, whether it's, you know, interacting with the audience, for, uh, whether it's the jokes, be sure to let us know on social media, your thoughts. And uh, next up uh, for our second and final main topic is going to be uh, one that's that's that you see a lot nowadays, which has to do with cancel culture. Uh, can celebrities survive cancel culture? That's a huge thing now. Like um, I take it you're you must be following the whole Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard situation. Are you? What's your whole opinion on that situation? Yeah. You know, I'm not much for reality TV because it's not real at all. It's all scripted. And even though that's a trial, I mean, some lawyers 
telling them what to say. It's, it's scripted. Um, I, I don't get into that stuff. I believe in, in pure, honest, direct entertainment, but I think that it uh, brings to light the problem that uh, America and, and maybe um, people, society in general have, have come across and that is we're all fascinated with tragedy and, and drama. I mean, that's why people slow down and watch a traffic accident and pencil net geeks, right? They're just, um, uh, everybody wants to see somebody else fail. And to me, that's not a good thing. And the problem with cancel culture is they're trying to create these failures. They're trying to cancel people because they don't necessarily agree with what they believe. And I don't, I don't know, I, I, maybe it's different in Canada. I've seen what Trudeau has done, but uh, freedom means something. And freedom means uh, the freedom to say, you know, what you think, even if it pisses off the guy next to you. And that uh, is not always an easy thing, but freedom shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. And for a group of people to try to cancel their fellow man because they just don't happen to believe or think the way they do is not freedom. That's socialism oh, no. or communism. And that is, uh, that will be the downfall of maybe both our countries. I mean, uh, when the, the politics starts going down that route, um, uh, we're, we could be in big trouble. I mean, I just between you and me, Frankie, I think like everything in life, like everybody's worried about the weather. That, that's just a lot of, excuse my language, fucking bullshit. You know what? <laughs> no, no, that's true. Yeah. Is cyclical. It's cyclical. Yeah. We might be going through a hot stage and we've gone up a whole degree in the last 10 years. Oh my God, we're all going to die. You know, it wasn't that many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, there was an ice age. And before that there was a dry age. I mean, it's all cyclical. Okay. It's the same in society right now the pendulum has gone way 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 far to the left and to a, a ridiculous nonsensical you know uh everybody's offended and nobody can say anything and uh, we all have to be the the mice of the government and, and do what they say but people get tired of that you know COVID is really uh, the way government handled COVID has pissed off a lot of the world. Oh, I mean, look at the protest. Uh, I don't, I know this comes out next week, but there was just a protest in China because they've locked down. I mean, they basically put their population in prison, home prison. And there was a protest and the government arrested and shut down all these young people protesting the, the lockdowns. But look at the stuff we've gone through in Canada. Look at the stuff we've gone to in the U S it's just crazy that these these people that say that they're they're representing the people have become dictators and are saying no it's my way or the highway and i'm going to use all my power to control you and shut you down well that that went all the way back the wrong way during covid i think and frankie your audience may disagree with me you may disagree with me but i think the public the real people the, the ones that make the countries run, both Canada and U.S., are tired of that and will not stand for that. And that pendulum is starting to come back. It may take a few years, but I think the counterculture is good. It's, 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 it's negativity. It's not going to last. It can't last. 
Mm, the, exactly. the, the, the socialism, the controlling governments, that won't last because the people won't allow it to last. And by the way, the, the opposite could be true. If the public did allow it, then we might as well be Nazi Germany because there'll be a dictator and we're all just minions with our papers. Where's your papers? Where's your papers? I mean, no, it no. almost got to that with COVID, you know? If you don't have a verification of your... Uh, and you know, being inoculated, you can't come in. Well, fuck you. I'm gonna go where I want to go. Sorry. Exactly. Sorry, no, no. Yeah. On a soapbox. No. <laughs> take a bow. Take a bow. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, I, 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 I'm pretty passionate on this, Frankie, because look what it did to the entertainment industry. It, it just devastated entertainment. No matter what kind you you're into, was devastated by the shutdowns of COVID. And what's sad is, sadly, a lot of Hollywood, uh, at least here in the U.S., is liberal, ultra liberal. And you still have to wear a mask when you go to a play. What the hell? It's, there's proof that masks don't work. There's years of two years proof that masks didn't work, that the vaccinations didn't work, that, that this is just a virus. It was really bad. Now it's weak. It's going to be around forever. We're going to have to live with it. And uh, let's move on with our lives. And yet the people I'm screaming to support, the, the actors and, and, and the producers of Hollywood are still like, they want everybody fearful. They want to control everybody. No, nope, you still have to wear a mask to go see a play. Well, screw you. I'm not going to go see a play. Yeah, oh. I'll, I'll just download a movie off uh, Netflix or something like that. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like I'll just watch Netflix. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, let's watch let's watch a movie from 20 years ago when we really had freedom of speech, right? Exactly. You know, it's the same with the counterculture, Frankie. You know what? If you're gonna be one of those liberal a-holes that's offended by everything, do us all a favor. Don't leave your home. Don't come to a comedy club. You know, comedy is the last bastion of free speech. And we cannot, as a producer, control what a comic's going to say on stage. And you know what? We shouldn't. Now, I don't agree with all the comedy that's out there now. I don't like guys that drop F-bombs for no reason. Uh, I think comedy's gotten weaker uh, in some ways. Maybe it'll come back. I'm hoping it will. But on the audience side, if everything's going to offend you and you can't take a joke, do us all a favor and don't go out and see entertainment. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. And, and that, and that's the truth or really. And I mean, like there's like, uh, what was the whole thing with Bill Murray? He said a joke that he's like, Oh, I said this years ago. And then he said it today. And now he's in big trouble. I can't remember. Someone mentioned that to me. I, I, I haven't been following that, but I guess, yeah, Bill Murray landed himself in, into some hot water with that. Yeah. Well, we all know how unfunny Bill Murray is. Come on. He's a freaking celebrity funny guy. He's done great movies. He's done great stage work. And to judge somebody by something he says in passing, you see, that's what I'm saying. It just takes it too far. And by the way, everybody listening, send your angry emails and letters to the Cochrane Entertainment Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah, send it to that one because it's actually pronounced Corcoran. <laughs> oh, Corcoran. Sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah. You said that earlier. I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll let him say it. Um, no, Corcoran, <laughs> you're right. It's right in front of me. I'm just not paying attention. No, no uh, worries. But just Frankie, uh, it is, I think it's important that you bring this up because as a Canadian, 
there are things happening in both our countries that is should be unexpect, uh, unacceptable. And if we allow our governments or our entertainment industry or our um, commercial industry or our financial industry leaders try to manipulate us and control us with fear in creating situations in that they use to control us, we have to, to fight. You know, it's interesting. I, I pray to God and knock on wood that it never happens. But the reason we have the, the uh, amendment about the right to bear arms is that ultimately in the U.S., if the government gets too big for its britches, the, the public will, will stand up and defend itself. Definitely. Like someone's got to take a stand. You know what I mean? Like there's right. like there's there there's certain times you're like, come on, like you really can't, you know. And like you said, if you're going to be offended by everything, if you're going to like, you know, just say, oh, blah, 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 it's like, well, then you're better off just staying home and crawling under a rock. You know what I mean? Like we right. all want to live life. You know what I mean? And we all want to have fun. And um, but like what what's your opinion? Like a celebrity who says a joke and people want to cancel them. You know what I mean? Like, like no, I, depending on, on what the joke is, maybe like, would you uh, like, uh, would you say there's certain exceptions to that rule or is it like, no, come on. Like everyone's allowed to free speech, you know? Well, in your last conversation uh, from mother's day with Jack, you brought up the Will Smith, uh, Chris rock situation. And you know what? Uh, Chris rock probably, um, shouldn't have done that joke or sh maybe shouldn't have touched that topic, but he was meaning it as a funny thing in, in society today. He wasn't trying to insult uh, Will Smith's wife. He wasn't trying to make a big thing out of it. It was really a passing thing that Will Smith, by the way, laughed at originally. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what some people and then his wife nudged him and said, you, you're supposed to defend me. So, Chris Rock maybe shouldn't have said that, but he had every right to do it. However, Will Smith way overreacted. And, you know, if he wanted to make a statement, he and his wife should have gone up and left. That exactly. would have been a, a much better statement than going up and slapping him because now he's the bad guy. He's the loser. He's the one that couldn't control and made a bad choice and a bad decision. Instead, and now Chris is the, <clears throat> the, the weak, you know, the one that was that everybody's defending and Will Smith made himself the bad guy and, and basically ruined his career to much extent and really mishandled it. And I, and I blame Hollywood. Here we go again here. They, that incident happened. Guess what? The show goes on. They don't kick Will Smith out and they give him they an Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, and then they give him a freaking Oscar. It's like, what the frick is going on here? That is just so Hollywood. It's like, oh yeah, like yeah. Don't don't uh, pay attention to what we do to each other. You know, it, it's it's uh, we we still you know we're going to celebrate ourselves. I mean, all those shows. A lot of those shows are going away or getting no audience because people are done with people propping themselves up, right? You yeah, know, if you're exactly. a good entertainer, the people will support you, spend money for your product, and that's your reward. But to give yourself a reward uh, or an award, 
um, is so self-serving. And uh, <clears throat> that was just a great example of counterculture, you know, like do as we say, not as we do. It, it, exactly. And if you were, I'm I, I mean, like, you know, going back to like uh, the initial question, can slavery survive? Could someone like Will Smith come back from this? Do you think? I mean, like, you know, in your opinion, I mean, like uh, it's people are still talking about it. It's been like two months now. and People are still like going on about the slap. You know well, what I mean? So he's a pretty talented guy. He's had a lot of success. Um, I think that, like I said, the pendulum is coming back. And like a lot of people, um, you know, it'll, it'll time heals all wounds. So I, I think that Will Smith's career isn't over. Um, but still there's, there'll be some, you know, um, fallout for years to come. Um, but you know, everybody makes a mistake. Everybody, you know, I talked earlier when we we're talking about being an entrepreneur, everybody fails at times. Yeah. You know, in stand up comedy, <clears throat> every famous comic you could mention uh, from Robin Williams to, to Jay Leno has bombed. There's times that things don't work. There's times that you have to work on it to make it work. And what makes you special is the resilience to learn from your mistake and go on and do something better. So let's hope in this case that Will Smith learns from his mistake. Chris Rock probably learned a little bit too, but they're both going to, uh, uh, if they approach it from uh, let's learn something and move on, uh, that'll help them continue as a success. If they dwell on it or let them destroy them, uh, th then that's a failure on their personality. No, and that's true. And and the way I see it is that I think he can survive this because I mean, the way I see it is that it's not like uh, this was like like the tenth time something like this has happened. This is like a first time offense for him. Like right. someone like Robert Downey Jr. Like that's a perfect uh, <laughs> example. Has you know gone through lots, rested multiple times for drugs, heroin. Uh, oh, we could name a lot of bad boys of entertainment that are still out doing stuff uh even in counterculture there's been a few people i'm i'm having trouble uh bringing to mind who i'm thinking of but there's a, a famous actor that uh, uh you know what what you know got drunk and went way off base and and did some said some things and did some things he shouldn't have done and then came out with another movie and was a big star again i mean it just you know uh with time, everything can be forgiven. Um, but again, it's, it, it's, I think what's difficult about this counterculture and what your question was based on <clears throat> is that everybody not only feels they have an opinion, which they do, they feel they need to share it and everybody has to agree with it. And that's not guaranteed by anybody, God or constitution. No, yeah. definitely. Absolutely. But uh, so we'll leave it up to you guys on social media. Be sure to, sure to let us know your thoughts. Can celebrities survive cancel culture? Uh, why, why can they, why can't they definitely be sure to let us know your thoughts? Cause there's lots of many different arguments to this, uh, to this topic. Frankie, um, where, do, where do they go to uh, connect with Corcoran entertainment? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have a TikTok. We haven't posted on TikTok as much as lately. Um, just, I find I have 
there's more of a following for us on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm looking to get back in, into the TikToks there now. <laughs> I feel I feel like some old timer, the old TikToks and the and yeah, the I'm not, a, I'm not a ticker talker either. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like that. Uh, so yeah, they can just let me know in the comments or uh, or or feel free to, to send Scott an email and say, Scott, I didn't like your opinion on that. <laughs> hey, 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 Frankie, don't throw me under the bus. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't no, do that to you. Do, I like you a lot. We do have uh, a Facebook and LinkedIn account um, and Instagram. It's, uh, um, you know, stand-up comedy, your host and MC. So that's the podcast. And of course, it has links and social media. In fact, when this show comes out, we'll be sharing it all over the world, right? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Isn't it fascinating how podcasting reaches? I have listeners in Australia, in China, in India, in South America, all over. It's crazy, isn't it? When you really think <coughs> about it, you're like, like everything's gone virtual now. And it's, I mean, like, you know, uh, especially in today's day and age with COVID, you know what I mean? It's the safest way to to give people some kind of entertainment. I mean, hell, this went from a from a theater only business and then COVID came and now it's a podcast too. You know what I mean? So we're kind of branching out, working around the current situations of the world. And uh, it's great to be here with you, Scott. So do you have any final words? Any pl- Any other plugs? Where can people, uh, well, you've already said where people can find you, but is there any other final thoughts, promotions? Yeah, if you don't mind, Frankie, yeah. I, uh, anybody interested in stand-up comedy, I have a new book on Amazon called 20 Questions Answered About Being a Stand-Up Comic. That's the title and that's the information in the book. So if you're interested in comedy, go to Amazon and, and find that. Uh, I have another website, scottscomedystuff.com. Uh, scottscomedystuff.com, not a very fancy name, but I have access to an online comedy course, uh, my videos and my podcast. And of course, if you get a chance, listen to the podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your hosted MC, where uh, every week I share live stand up comedy from the 80s and 90s, or I interview a professional entertainer. Much like Frankie's show, there's a lot of entertainment and insight through these uh, interviews. Don't you agree, Frankie? Oh, 100%, 100%. And I love that. I mean, as I said, this started out as a theater company to start, but I mean, luckily we, we, we haven't focused 100% on theater. It's uh, corporate entertainment. So it's just anything in entertainment. So we talk about music. Sometimes we talk about movies, TV shows, and, anything at all, you know, I'm a much, much bigger fan of the Corcoran uh, entertainment show versus the Cochran. They're not good at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's some sort of a weird porn podcast the cocker <laughs> <laughs> nice one Frank. that one yeah i think that's on uh, OnlyFans. <laughs> um no, no. <laughs> so uh i want to thank my guest today uh scott edwards scott it was a pleasure to have you on everyone be sure to check out his podcast stand-up comedy your host at mc where can people listen to that apple Podcasts, spotify it's on all the directories spotify all apple uh you name it it's out there Okay, perfect. Wonderful. So definitely feel free to uh, li- uh, give it a listen. Scott's very, very funny. You're going to want to hear his stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you all for tuning in the show today. We'll see you guys next Tuesday. Uh, so yeah, this is Frankie and Scott signing off. Thanks, Frankie. Great seeing you.